Good morning, Sarah Hepler. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Um, you are, you know, it's a funny thing. Usually I'm just looking at your beautiful face in, uh, in your red closet. I think people should know that. Um, she's got like a little bordello effect going on where she, um, it's, it's she pink, is. but I've never wanted to correct you because oh. red is fine. It's close enough, but it is a pink neon light that hangs in my closet which is where you podcast. People podcast from weird places. I know a girl who podcast, she did an entire podcast series sitting under a blanket on her bed. Oh, that's a good idea. I I just put on Twitter. I'm going to do it next time. Um, I just put on Twitter, uh, like, why? what is up with all these TikToks of people in their car? And why do people take so many car selfies? Like, what is going on in the American automobile that people feel the need to capture it all the time? Because I'd seen so many TikTok videos. And somebody wrote in and said, it's where you get the best sound and the best light. I thought that was in the shower. Well, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention that there is something contrasting you on my screen right now. And it's a, it's a, it's a bright white room. There's plenty of sunshine and there is a lovely man sitting there. A man? A man. There's a man. There's a man in here? There's a man in here. Glad I got dressed. Um, and his name is John Ronson. Oh my God, it is. Hello. Hello. Hi. Whoa. I'm so happy to be on your on your great show, which I watch and love. Oh, we are so. I, I mean, listen and love. I listen while I'm um, having long, forlorn country walks here in Mancy, Valley. Have you ever seen me starstruck by one of our guests? No, I, well, I think we've only had two guests. But no, no, we've had five. Okay. No, I haven't. I know that she, you, basically Sarah's just going to fangirl this entire. She's going to. No, I'm going to be serious. Hammer. I'm a real journalist. Okay, um, but John, we are so happy to have you here. Obviously, John is also a friend, like a personal friend that I know in in real life. Um, but even before any of this, I think we, Sarah and I, were constantly talking about. Um, so you've been publicly shamed. This book just so made such an impression on us and we've probably mentioned it five or six times on the show which is how I think you, then you popped up and said oh I, I actually listened to your show which is amazing totally I was getting interested in like um men men and women and I've never mm -hmm. really thought much about that mm -hmm. like for some reason I've never really differentiated much between mm -hmm. the sexes but then I thought well that's something I should be thinking about more so that's how I found your show because you were talking about that stuff and then I I read your brilliant uh Johnny Depp reporting so which I thought was the best reporting of the whole of the whole trial and and uh so yeah that's so that's how I found you because I thought you know in my mid-50s I should finally be thinking about men and women how is it how's it going I I uh, just am wondering can we mark that and then use that as a clip. And I, I don't even want to necessarily promote the podcast with it. I just want it to be like my ringtone. <laughs> like I just want it to be John Ronson's voice. Well, it was so good. Honestly, it was so good. Oh, I thought that you. that whole thing, the whole reportage of it, what you were, because I actually was watching that and yeah. thinking, you, you sort of tempered me a little bit because I was watching it and thinking, I, I was, I was, failing i was i was like failing at my own lesson which was you know never think of it something in terms of black and white but when you when you watch the trial you are thinking my god like amber heard is like 
really bad. And Johnny Depp doesn't seem to have done very much wrong at all. But then when I read your reporting and you were much more nuanced, it just sort of, it gave me a little sort of slap and reminder that things are, you know, mutual abuse and just things are always more complicated. Well, don't we always need that, though, because the world wants to push us into simple thinking. It's, you know, reductive thinking is easier down the line from, you know, headlines to clickbait to conversation to everything, labels and and all of that. And and I feel like so much of what I do as a writer and a human, but also the people that I'm seeking out are people that are pushing us out of that, out of those totally. those easy categories. Um, yes. And the fact is, like, I spend my life trying to not do that. Yes. And the fact that I just slid into it watching the, the debt trial it's, shows that, you know, how it's so easy for us to all succumb to it. It's seductive. You know, I became mm. um, familiar with John when I was waiting for my first book, Blackout, to come out, and I read So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which was honestly the worst possible thing you could read while you're waiting for your book to come out. It's like reading Carrie before you go to prom or something like that. Um, but it was so brilliant. And I was like, it it connected dots and put things together. Also, I had become very scared to say certain things. I felt like, and I heard you on the, the fifth column talking about this. It's not so much that you... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, felt like you were running afoul of the culture war so much as you had just kind of sidestepped it uh, through journalism. Yeah, I think so. For some reason, it's funny, I was talking to my friend John Safran about this, who's like an Australian version of what I do. He's absolutely brilliant. He's like, um, in Britain, there's me and Louis Theroux, and in Australia, there's yeah. John Safran. And we had lunch the other day, and, and he said, have you noticed that we don't get quite so much criticism as other people who try and like look at things yeah. more holistically uh and and I was like yeah why is that and he said well I think we've been grandfathered in like we're used we're used as examples of like we're, we're used as kind of weapons like I hate this person who plays both sides because he doesn't do it like John Saffron or John Ross so we're just like a convenient sometimes I think we're a kind of convenient weapon to wield at other people who do like similar things Oh, that's so interesting. But but mm-hmm. I would also say that you um, do set the bar for what has been, um, I think, dismissed as both sidesism, the, the kind of thing yeah. that I thought I was getting. And that's what I was getting afraid of. Um, right. I remember getting so annoyed when Donald Trump said... After Charlottesville, there's very fine people on both sides. When he said on both sides, I just put my head in yeah. my hands and I yeah. thought that that just fucks any of yeah. us who care about yeah. both sides. Because like, that's an arrow pointing <laughs> directly into the chest of our work. Exactly. Um, He's ruined it for all of us. It, it's so true. Um, <laughs> but I, I just want to say that I also, um, in 2020, which was the summer of George Floyd and 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 the year leading out from that was one of the most kind of personally painful of my own life. I was in a lot of isolation, kind of brought about by the pandemic, but also just sort of wondering that the world felt so destabilized and I didn't know how. And it was during that time that I found things fell apart. And it was a kind of, I don't even like, I, I feel a little silly saying this to you, but like a spiritual journal for me. I mean, I would listen Thank to you. it over and over and over again. I must have listened to it the whole way through probably you know, just multiple times. I also find your voice very soothing. Um, <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, I think my voice is, is something that it can work or not work depending on how high pitched or loud I am. Like it's a, uh, it's on the edge of, of anyway, that's enough about my oh, voice. Oh, but, um, but thank you. But yeah, no, thank you. I, and I'm really glad you said that about things fell apart. And yeah, I definitely wanted to try and calm things down with things fell apart. Can you just tell um, the listeners a little bit what things fell apart is for those who don't know? We'll of course have a link to it, but um, I, I of course was bowled over by it as well. Um, but sure. Well, well, like Sarah, um, I, you know, I was sort of a bit lost and flailing during lockdown, like, like everybody in the world. And in fact, season two of things fell apart. I'm going to be looking at uh, the way we all fell apart oh, during wow. lockdown. Wow. Yeah. So, so, um, so that's what season two is going to be about, I think. But yeah, so, so I was watching Friends. It really started, I've got this former friend called Graham, um, oh. who was Graham Linehan, who was a great, great, great comedy writer in, in the 90s and the early 2000s, wrote some of the best British and Irish comedies that there's ever been. Um, but he just lost himself to the culture wars. His his one was gender critical feminism, and he became a yeah. uh, and and the, the sort of extreme way that that he responded to that particular culture war, to the extent that his entire life now is is has been swallowed up by it. Um, you know, Graham can be you know he, and I was just thinking, well, what is it? You know, what what happened? How did that happen? And then you'd see it happen all over the place. Yeah. Various thinkers who just got more and more you know radicalized, and what was going on? Like, was it our age? Was it some weird combination of algorithms and echo chambers at our age, and we're just unused to this new way of communicating? And then, and then, so I, all of these thoughts were like bubbling around in my head, trying to for, for like the most important story of our times, like all of these people just going too far down rabbit holes and not being able to find their way back again. I love going down rabbit holes, but I always manage to find my way back up again and can deal with what I discovered in a, in a more sort of nuanced way. And, and brilliant people like Graham um, had been just had just lost themselves and, and everything, everything, everything balanced in his life. Like his, his, he lost his family and he lost all of his work. And, and anyway, then the, the BBC uh asked me if I wanted to do something about the culture wars. And the reason why I said yes was because I was thinking about, you know, people like Graham. And, and um, I thought, well, how can I do this without it being part of the culture wars, which is the last exactly. of the world I want? So I thought, well, maybe I should go back in time, go go try and find the origin moments, the, the, the you know, the pebbles thrown in the pond of why society is falling apart the way that it that it did and so then when I did that I just found these like wild stories and and what I love about the BBC is that there's no impetus to there's no impetus to uh, you know force people to keep listening by cliffhangers and so on or or saying what you're going to find out this story may start a little bit oddly but don't worry it's going to go here you know that the BBC don't really make you do that kind of stuff so the I think the pleasure of listening to things fell apart is that these stories just started really obscure places Uh, a teenage boy growing up in the Swiss Alps dreaming of making Hollywood movies or Mm. or whatever and And, and that's the beginning of the uh of the right uh Christian Mm. right embracing uh 
abortion, pro-life, which yeah. is the, the story that opens the series and is just an extraordinary unfolding of like inconsequential moments and moments that become deeply consequential. It's, it's, it's astonishing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that sort of pleasure in, in, um, uh, in telling a story, just let it unfold. You know that it's going to end somewhere really consequential and surprising. Uh, so that's things fell apart. You know, yeah. When Sarah was saying, you know, it's your voice. When we um, when we had dinner a couple of weeks ago, I said to you that the secret sauce for all of your work to me is um, is you. <laughs> you know, it's it's not, you're the one. But what I I noticed because I also listened to the butterfly effect over the past couple of days, and I've I've noticed this in, in just in your writing, but in all of your podcasts, there is a wonderment that you have. Yes. Mm-hmm. A genuine, like, wait, wait, hello, hello, oh, hello, let me ask you this. <laughs> and it's, you're just like, you're kind of, and then the way you, you structure it, and then like, you're, you're speaking to the listener, but not for very, not for too long. You, you are, I think, better than anyone that I'm familiar with right now, and, and it's who's popular now. You have this way to bring your reader, your listeners, or your readers with you on the story in a way that we feel very, mm-hmm sort of like cosseted and curious and it's um mm. it's really something else john i mean we're i, I know we're just going to fangirl over you the whole time but it's it's really something else well thank you nancy <laughs> and um i think it's i think it's to do to a great extent with the stories that i choose to tell sure uh, i've got so many friends like non-fiction friends who tend to have a specialist subject, which they then go back to over and over again, and then they become like world experts in that subject. So there's a great British non-fiction writer called Kathleen Moran, but she kind of returns to, you know, feminism all the time. And, and there's a great guy called Ben Goldacre who just returns to pseudoscience all the time. And they become like the best speakers in that subject. But I can't do that. Like once I feel like I understand the world, I totally lose, in, I lose interest in, in, in telling stories from that world. Um, so every story I choose is a story where there's something about the world I don't understand. And I really want to understand it. Like I'm very curious to understand it because that's the wind behind myself. And as you said, then that's the way you respond to those stories too. Mm-hmm. So it means I'm doing the right thing in, in the ones that I choose. I want to pause on the butterfly effect for a second because I listened to that one too. And I think, you know, that one is about the effect of Pornhub. Um, and, you know, if you had told me that there was a long form podcast about porn, I think it just would have been a hard pass for me. Um, me too. <laughs> and this has happened time and again in throughout my whole career. I mean, Jesus, when I'm at the men who stare at goats, I mean, trying to convince people to read that book. <laughs> the, the only thing I've ever done that sold itself is the psychopath test. If sure. you put the word psychopath in the title, you again, people are going to read it. Like everything I choose, I have to really convince people. Like, I know you don't think you want to read this or listen to this, but honestly, if you give it a chance. But yeah. I th- I think Nancy's point about wonderment is such a good one and such a good word because what it was 
that worked about that podcast, well, several things. I mean, one of the thing is things is your kind of kaleidoscopic way of looking at a certain cultural event and looking at the different vectors. I just it, it tracks with how my mind wants to understand things, and I really appreciate it. But it was this almost innocence that you brought to this world that was, you know, either you know, porn is one of those things that as it was kind of cresting into the consciousness in the 21st century, mostly because of the internet, you had to adopt a kind of like, oh, that's disgusting, or like, oh yeah, I know all about that and it's no big deal. So Mm -hmm. I had found myself over the last 15 years playing the latter card where it was like, oh yeah, 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 I know that, it's no big deal. And then, you know, soon enough, you're like, squid porn, it's no big deal. Like, you know, (laughs) incest porn, like, it's that's what happens. What do you think happens on the internet? And, you know, it, it, I, it was like a slow degree degradation that I hadn't really, uh, I, I knew, but I didn't know how to articulate. And so the way that you went through that world and you had this wonderment in your voice, mm-hmm. even the way that you would say, pawn, you know. <laughs> People have actually said, come up to me on the street and said, say pawn. I'd say pawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's also when, when you talk to uh, me about portents. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose it is one of those things that's like hiding in plain sight. I think my mm-hmm. my my sort of quite boring origin moment for the butterfly effect was my son when he was maybe I don't know twelve, eleven or twelve. Uh, it's, which is like he's twenty four now, coming back and saying. Um, everyone at school is talking about this thing Pornhub have you heard of Pornhub and and I'd never heard of that was the first to my knowledge that was the first time I'd ever heard the word Pornhub and it came from my then 11 year old son and and so it stayed in my mind as like is this how kids are learning about Mm -hmm. sex kids are learning sex education now by just you know randomly going on to Pornhub so and then I, I was really interested in obviously tech I started making the butterfly effect when people were still kind of into tech utopians. Mm-hmm. They're not so into them now, but you know there was definitely a period where we where we just idolized tech utopians, and you would hear these stories about you know yellow cab drivers killing themselves because of Uber, and yeah. and yes, yeah, so yeah. you'd hear all of these stories of the consequences of tech utopia. Uh, and so I really wanted to do that. And and I just thought, well, people don't want to think about porn or porn stars. Uh, but I, so I'm really curious about that. I'm really curious about, I think I always like doing, I always like telling stories about marginalised people, but in a way, the wrong sort of marginalised person. So, you know, those stories are sometimes really yeah. good. And, uh, and, and, I, and I thought sex workers, porn stars fitted into that category. Isn't um, it funny I mean, that they're always called porn stars? And then as you dig into that world, what the opposite of stardom it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. But for anybody that has not listened to or know about the butterfly effect, it's it, you know, it it, it sort of launches from the creation of Pornhub, but it's where this goes. And the stories mm. are extraordinary. I mean, you couldn't so if you had if you had like pitched it and like tried to make up these things, people would say there's there's no way you can do this and I would just like you to know without giving anything away. I was listening to the very very end of, of mm. it today. I'm vacuuming, I have my headphones on and crying. Yeah. yeah. That last it's part just, of the last episode oh, is it's, just it's, it's stunning. It's just it's 
Yeah. And, uh, maybe I should tell just one thing from the butterfly effect so people yeah, can kind of understand the sort of tone yeah. of it. Uh, so I was on the set of Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy when the cameraman, they booked a second cameraman because it was an orgy. And sure. Mike, yeah, Gotta have Mike two cameras like, for that. <laughs> yeah. And Mike was like, this is so rare nowadays. Like when I started out in porn, it was like a whole big crew. But now to have a second cameraman is like so rare. So I said to the second cameraman, like, so what do you do, you know, when you're not doing this? And he said, customs. And I said, what are customs? Mm -hmm. And he said, if you have a desire to see a porn film that's so strange, nobody would like ever think to make it. Like if your niche is so niche, uh, you can now commission professional porn makers like me to, uh, to make, to make the porn film just for you. So when I heard that, I was I just immediately thought, well, I bet some customs are just like the craziest things you could imagine. So I get so what so one uh, was Stamps Man. Um, so Stamps Man, uh, he's a mysterious man from Scandinavia, and he's commissioned I think ten customs, and in each of them he sends a very expensive book of his stamp collection to porn stars and the porn film is them destroying his his priceless stamp collection. So I then went on an odyssey to try and meet Stamps Man because it's like, what as a writer, like what an insight into into somebody's inner life to try and figure out, you know, to via their custom porn film. Um, this, this is reminding me that when I was on Tinder, uh, you would often pass by these these guys that would say like, I want to be stamped by somebody's feet or whatever and i was so curious i would match with them and then i would try to like hear the stories but i ended up feeling like this was a very bad you know i would they would be like well do you want to stamp me or you know like Mm. it was trampling trampling that's what it was called and he wanted little feet to trample on him and i was like well i wear a size six and he was like oh my god you know and i was like oh (laughs) this is terrible i'm really like i'm really just leading this person on to get the story of why he wants to be trampled with tiny feet. But it was so irresistible to me to get those stories. Right. I mean, you know, it is. It's a, it's a window into someone's soul, uh, I guess. By the way, I met this woman, just last thing to say about Stamps Man. I met a customs woman uh, and I said to her, oh, by the way, have you ever had a, somebody send you their book of stamps uh, for you to destroy? And she went, are you stamps man? Because <laughs> <laughs> I wear glasses. You know, uh, another, yeah. Another thing I love about uh, your work is that you always ask the next question. Like, yeah. like, oh, and this, like, fried chicken guy, right? Oh, you're talking fried chicken and this and that. And then you're like, why? Who would be letting you know a 10 year old use a deep fryer? But like, can I just ask you what happened? Like, you, you mm. I'm not saying that. Other journalists wouldn't be brave enough to do that. So some might not be, but you're just like, it's like the next question. Like there's always a next question and you know what it is that we want to hear. I I used to annoy my parents so much when I was a kid because they would tell an anecdote and the anecdote would like get to its end. Like the story had ended. And I'd always say, and what happened after that? And they're like, the story's ended. (laughs) Eat your, like, eat your weenies. You're like, I have follow-ups. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Anecdotes should never end. There's always always something happens after that. 
The um, butterfly effect was followed by a podcast called The Last Days of August. Um, I also listened to that. Uh, I found it very sad. Yeah. Was it sad to report? Yeah. It was my least favorite story to report ever on, on, you know, personally. Um, For so many reasons. But what, you know, so many reasons. She'd only just died. Uh, This was about the death of a porter. I I wanted to, I don't know, I really enjoyed working with my producer, Lena, on the butterfly effect. And I kind of wanted to go back in for one more story. And that's why we did. So uh, that's why we made The Last Days of August. What happened was a few months after we finished The Butterfly Effect, a porn star called August Ames took her life. And her husband released a statement saying it was because of Twitter bullying. Mm -hmm. And he named particular porn performers that he was basically blaming for her death. So... I just thought, wow, I wanted to, you know, I enjoyed working with Lena on the butterfly effect. I'd been asked to do one more porn story. And I'm the only person in the world, probably, who's done a whole bunch of stories on porn and a whole bunch of stories on Twitter shaming. Exactly. It was a little bit in your wheelhouse. Exactly. So, So that's how I dove into it. And then immediately after diving into it, people started saying to me, you know, as a result of her husband's statement, like, there's more to this than meets the eye. And people were basically alluding to Kevin somehow being responsible, her husband mm-hmm. being somehow responsible. So then I was in a kind of true crime situation, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure that out. And I suppose, I don't know, it, it was just, it was too much, um, too much for everyone. Um, I got really worked up about the ethics of that story. And to I can the imagine extent- so. Yeah, to the extent that it actually, I think, had a bit of a sort of impact on on me for a little while. Um, Uh, One thing that I would say that recommends that uh, podcast, though, I mean, mm -hmm. I I thought it was very well done, but um, there is something to be said for talking about porn when there are no visuals. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a moment, and I can't, it's been a while since I've listened to the pod, but, you know, you took us into a porn shoot, and I, I just the way that you described it and the dynamics there were so intense. Um, You chose just the right details. You could train my eyes in a way that were I watching it, my eyes could not be trained. They would be all over the place. And, um, you know, it was something that I found very effective to be able to talk about porn without its primal pull. Right. Which is what it does to our, you know, whatever part of our brain watches things. Yeah, I I couldn't have done it. And and also, you know, people would have just fast, if it was TV, people would have just fast forwarded it to the sex. That's a really good point. A hundred percent. Uh, so I, so I could, it never, I mean, I would never have done it as a visual thing. No, no way. It, it was perfect for audio. Um, and if I only audio, my, my book publisher, um, when I came up with the idea for the butterfly effect, I, I talked to my American book publisher and he was really reluctant to let me do it as a piece of writing. Um, so in the end, cause he said like, you know, NPR is not going to be interested in a book about porn. You're not going right. to get do interviews. So in the end, that's that's one, you know, people kind of often ask me because I, I do, you know, 
all sorts of mediums. Uh, people always ask me, how do you choose? And that's one example where where it was perfect for audio for all of those reasons. Yeah. Nancy, are you back with us? You bounced I off for a little yeah. bit. I know. I, you guys disappeared and then I, you were magically back. So yes, I'm back. Um, so I missed a little bit about the last days of August. I apologize about that. Um, so, I was just talking a bit about how, what a sort of heavy burden it was to make a show about somebody who's only just died. And it's kind of, you know, there's this, there's this I don't know if, if either of you, I don't know how famous it is outside of Britain, but there's a famous British play called An Inspector Calls. Do, do you know I've it? heard of it, but I don't What's know it. An Inspector okay. Calls? Yeah, it's about it's a fancy house in London. By weird coincidence, I lived on the next street to the guy who wrote the play, so I kind of know exactly the fancy houses he's talking about, um, J.B. Priestley. And it's a fancy house in London, and an inspector calls, a policeman knocks on the door and says that this young woman has been has, has taken her life. And everybody in the house is saying, well, what's that got to do with us? This is like a young sort of working class woman. And he's like, well, well, what's this got to do with us? And then he goes around the house, the people in the house one by one, and he realised that everybody in this family had somehow contributed to this woman's death. Mm. Like she'd worked in a clothing store and somebody had complained about her in the clothing store and that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose the last days of August was was my way of doing an inspector calls, like how we, um, you know, ripples and the connections we have to other people and how what we do affects other people and that kind of stuff. But the problem is that an inspector calls was fiction and this yeah. is non-fiction. So I was actually, you know, and she'd only died a month earlier. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so those were the, yeah. Those were the problems. But you're reminding me that one of the things I love about your work is that it has moral weight, but it never feels moralizing. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess we all succumb. You know, the older you get, the more baggage you accumulate, the more you look back on mistakes that you've made and, you know, your own frailties. And, and then it's very hard to be hierarchical about other people's frailties when you're just so aware of your own. I'm, I'm working guess. on something now, and I put a little note on my desk that says "Beware pronouncements," because you you come you can sometimes hear yourself just getting a little a little pronouncy or a little strident about something. It's like don't mm-hmm. don't do that. That's not that's not of interest to the reader, and it's not it's not serving your own curiosity to come yeah. to these decisions. Uh, yes, I, I agree. I think it's just much better to. Also, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, when you fill your head with judgment, there's no room for curiosity. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, And we don't have to, you know. When people say to me, doing this talk the other day, and somebody said, no, this isn't true. I was going to go on Piers Morgan, and I decided not to do it. Um, The main reason why I decided not to do it is because I knew that at one point in the interview, Piers Morgan would say to me, what is a woman? Yeah. Um, and, and I just don't want to be part of that sort of, you know, sort of. Bias. Hello, Smoker. We've got them, listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, biweekly episodes with Sarah Heppler. Sarah Heppler, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, 
interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.